0: Hello and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast, brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host Isaiah Henkel, and today we will be talking with Emma Hitt on careers in medical writing. If you're interested in getting uh, listening to the full version of this interview, go to cheekyscientist.com/association and learn how you can become an associate and get access to all of our materials for helping PhDs transition uh, into non-academic careers. Uh, If you would like to get these highlights delivered to your email inbox when they are released, go to CheekyScientist.com and subscribe under where it says Start Here. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Uh, So today we will be talking to Emma Hitt. Uh, Her company is Nascent Medical LLC, uh, formerly Hitt Medical Writing LLC, uh, which serves to help people continue uh, their medical education, medical content publishing, um, develop these skills, uh, specifically helping PhDs and MDs uh, with their writing ability, uh, so that they can either start their own business businesses as freelance medical writers, or they can get hired by larger firms in medical writing. Uh, Dr. Hitt herself is a seasoned medical communications professional specializing um, in CME and news writing for a clinical audience. Uh, she's been doing this since 1999. Uh, in lots of different areas, uh, hematology, oncology, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, several medical fields. Uh, she completed her PhD from Emory University. Uh, she has a six-week online course called Everything You Need to Know to Start Your Freelance Medical Writing Business. Today, we are going to focus specifically on helping PhDs get into the medical writing field. So we're going to uh, jump in with Dr. Hit now. Very excited to have you on today, Emma. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: Yeah, so I wanted to to start off real simple and, you know, kind of break it down because we have people that know exactly what medical writing is and we have others that are just, you know, they want to learn a little bit more and see if it might be right for them. So can you tell us what, you know, on a basic level, kind of a bird's eye view of what is involved in being a medical writer?
1: Sure, absolutely. So basically, all it is is what it sounds like, so medical writing. And it's basically any type of written communications involving medicine. And it can be split up into about three general categories. So one of them is writing for clinicians, doctors, um, And that would be continuing medical education, manuscripts. A lot of the journal articles that you see are written by medical writers, uh, that kind of thing. And then there's a second group, which is regulatory writing, which is all the documents and documentation for the FDA. So new new drug applications and prescribing information, uh, things like that. And then the third category is writing for consumer audience. Um, so that would be feature magazines and newspapers and online portals and things like that. That's basically basically uh, the three main categories of
2: medical writing. Great, great. So so there, there are these subcategories, and, and I think that's important because, you know, for those of you listening, uh, there, there are a variety, and, and, and there are very different audiences you can write for, but uh, surely you can write for all three, too. Uh, I want to... Transition a little bit. Okay, so that's kind of the basic understanding. We're going to dig in here. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about your story and your transition. Uh, Emma, you know, as we know, we have a lot of PhDs, huh? You're also a PhD who are looking to transition into something like medical writing, a different industry, not staying in academia. This is something you've done. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got into this profession.
1: Sure, absolutely. I love telling this story cuz I like to think that it gives hope to people that are currently getting their PhD and they're just having a really hard time with it. Yeah. Um so I yeah, so I started at Emory in 1994, which makes me older than I like to think, but 1994 and I was at Emory for 6 years getting my PhD and right in the middle of it I I knew that You know, I was just working too hard for too long to go into a postdoc and, you know, not earn good money and work 80 hours a week. So I just started Mm -hmm. thinking about what can I do that would combine science. And um, I had been told back in college before then that I, I had talent as a writer, and I didn't think much of that. Yeah, at the time, but that came back and I thought, well, maybe is there a way I can combine science and writing? And so I, it was just when the Internet was starting, which <laughs> is incredible to think wow. about. So that was about, like 99, you know, it was just when. I had had access to Internet at Emory, obviously, and I started searching online and I found the National Association of Science Writers and I just made the decision, you know, right in the middle of all that, that I was going to become a, a medical, well, a science writer and then it morphed into medical writing, which is what my, that's kind of like a subgroup of science writing. And, um, I started, you know, editing people's, uh, dissertations and taking on any freelance work i could and then i also got a master's in technical writing um so that's what prepared me for all of that so that's the story
2: no no and i I love it too and i i I mean this is the the perfect audience because uh you know the one thing that we do is try to show that there are all these other alternative career options out there and yeah
1: And can I add to that too, um, you know, it was faced with quite significant opposition by my dissertation committee and, um, you know, back, even back then it wasn't quite as popular as it is these days where, you know, alternative careers in science, it's kind of a buzzword. But back then it was not. And so if anybody's in that situation and people tell them "Well, what are you doing throwing away a perfectly good career in science you know if if medical writing is something that you're drawn to and also the lifestyle associated with it then you know just believe in yourself and and believe in that process and um, because life is too short to you know be in academia or whatever it is if you don't want to do that
2: well said I I really appreciate that and you know a lot of people that are listening right now they might not be in a position to speak up or whatever it is but just knowing you know it's good to hear that from uh, other external sources and so if, if you are in that position and you're listening uh you know take that take that message seriously go after what you want to do the lifestyle you want don't let other people tell you what you should be doing great message thank you exactly uh so okay so what a yeah, simple question what do you like about your job so why, why was it the right fit for you
1: Oh, well, yeah, so it's a very good question. Um, and I, I think sometimes I don't realize how lucky I am, you know, because other people have jobs and I hear horror stories about other jobs and I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to do that. So, it, uh, you know, the, the thing I like most about medical writing, it's a constant learning about a wide range of topics and it's a broad knowledge and you end up knowing a lot about health, which is useful to people in your life. You know, I know where to look anything up. No matter what, I'm not a doctor, a medical doctor, but I I can look stuff up and things like that. I can help my friends and family. Um, And it's kind of in contrast to a PhD study where you are just kind of looking at the function of a single protein or something very narrow like that. So I like that broad knowledge that you get. I love talking to scientists about their work. They're always, you know, universally, uniformly excited about talking to you. And um, I like... You know, it's a very—it's kind of a, a non-emotional, uh, and it's uh, there's a lot of integrity in in the industry. I mean, you're dealing with scientists, and it's. Um You know, I don't have to deal with, you know, whatever other people have to deal with. My husband's a divorce lawyer. I mean, he deals with emotional (laughs) stuff, you know, like I don't have to deal with any of that except perhaps a client who's under a deadline. I mean, that's the hardest thing I have to deal with. So it's, Mm. it's a very cool thing. And then I love working at home on my own schedule. There's no travel, although I did travel extensively because I wanted to travel, but nowadays I don't travel so much. And so it's an ideal profession for kids and family. And then, of course, the pay is, uh, you know, my first year out of grad school, I made 90000 and I Ooh. haven't looked back. So it's very I nice
2: mean. like that. Yes. <laughs> no, and it's important to do, and I think that probably just blew a lot of people's minds, right? We always talk about yes. these false concepts we have. <laughs> As a PhD, you can either do, you know, meaningful work, or have a, or you can have a nice work-life balance, or you can make a lot of money. But there's no reason you can't do all of those things at once. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's that's fantastic. Uh, okay, so let's get a little bit more granular now. So, if, let's say somebody listening wants to become a medical writer, um, what is the? Let's well, let's start with the recruitment process. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so you have to decide if you're the kind of person that wants to do freelance medical writing or if you want to go find a staff job somewhere. And people often think that a staff job is going to be more secure and this, that, and the other. But I can tell you that it's, you know, the only security you have is how good you are at your job. So mm. um, I would say... You know, uh, don't think of staff jobs being that secure. But if you wanted to get a staff job, I would recommend um, reaching out to recruiters in the industry. There's all you can find that on LinkedIn very easily. I mean, medical writing is a job that's in demand a good medical writer is hard to find, especially one that's willing to work on site somewhere rather than remotely. And many companies want medical writers to come into an office. So if you're willing to do that, there's, and you're, and you're reasonably good at writing, then it, mm. that job is, will be open to you. Um, no, that's and a good distinction
2: we, to make between the, the free uh the, the freelancing or working for a staff. I think that's, I like that you started with that just because, it's one of the first decisions I think should be made before pursuing other uh, career. Sure. So, but continue. Yeah, please.
1: Oh, and then free, well, uh, b- freelancing, you know, it's a different, And we'll cover that, I guess, in another question further down. But um, you know, for if you're looking to be recruited for a staff job, you'll probably need to take a writing test. So it's good to read. You know, I I recommend like at least five books that you can get on Kindle or or Barnes and Noble, whatever, and um, really brush up on your writing skills. You should Mm. know how to write. Yeah, and it's not something you necessarily do know how to do unless you've studied it. So that's your yeah. first step,
2: too. <laughs> uh, good, good note. If Before entering a career in medical writing, make sure you actually like to write. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. <good> <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a good
2: point. Good point, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what are, uh, let's see, so, okay, so let's say, you know, we have some people on right now that are probably considering, okay, i like to write, but I still want to know if it's right for me. What other questions besides, you know, obviously liking to write, liking to read, um, w- how would you know if it's the right career for you? And, you know, a secondary question is, you know, what kind of skills could you look at that are transferable from a a, a PhD into that career? Well,
1: um, you know, I would say most people with a PhD are pretty smart, <laughs> and that you know you can't substitute intelligence. Uh, you know, you can make up for it to some extent with hard work, but with medical writing, where you're faced with synthesizing large volumes of data and um, making decisions all day long about how you're going to prevent, pre- present information. So it really helps to be pretty pretty sharp. And, that, and there's just no other way around that. But everybody on this call obviously has that criteria met, so I'm <laughs> not worried about that one. Um, yes. It does help if you have an aptitude for writing. Um, it helps if you know you're the person in the lab that the professor goes to to look over their work um or you know uh people have told you, "Wow, I really like your writing. it's really good. that's a good sign, but it doesn't have to be that way, but you you do have to have that attitude and you don't have to love writing i mean i if I write for forty hours in a week, I'm not feeling much love for the writing at that point but 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 I don't mind it and and I'm good at it so it you you have to have that aptitude. And then the science yes. background, obviously. Um, it's interesting. I mean, my science background was in cancer related cell signaling. And the number of times I've written on that exact topic is <laughs> maybe, you know, five times. In the... mm. So I'm always writing about things that I don't know that much about, but I sure do know how to look them up and look up up review articles and things like that so it helps if you just you're not intimidated at all by the medical literature you can get your head around anything pretty quickly that helps so i would say that's it yeah
2: no no so those are some good transferable skills and i think they're Mm. skills that already uh, most of you listening have uh
1: exactly and i would i'm sorry to interrupt i would say one more thing too if you've been a phd in a lab and you've done experiments and you've dealt with your experiments failing and and you've suffered through because we all know how hard it is to get a degree in a science a phd um if you've done that that is like the best training for freelance medical writing at least where it's just you just got to put yourself out there and keep going and stay encouraged to yes. so that if you can survive that then that you know this will be a breeze
2: <laughs> no and i'm really happy you said that because we're always talking about what transferable skills do I actually have? Well, learning to deal with failure is a very important transferable skill, and there's a reason you know every interview is going to ask you a time you have to deal with conflict. So it's you know the field exactly. of medical writing is not immune to that, and I think that's important for all you guys listening. Uh, great stuff, and uh, yeah, you're you're enthused. I think Irina said in the chat box here, your your passion for writing is definitely contagious. So great stuff. Thank you. Uh, so what? Okay, let's let's talk very very tactical here. What what preparation should PhDs be doing right now if they want to enter this profession let's say they're at the end of their graduate school career or what's hopefully the last year of a postdoc right? or let's say they're you know unemployed at home watching tv what things can they do right now <laughs> to start preparing for this career
1: well uh you know, I mean, it depends. If if your goal is to be a freelancer right after you get your PhD, you should start now, trying to get clients, uh, set up a website. Um, I would say, and this isn't self promotion, but I would say buy my book. It's called Freelance Medical Writing, and you can buy it on Amazon. And if you can't afford to buy it, just email me, and I'll give you a free copy. If we could that. I think you should just. Re- read my book and it, will, it tells you everything that you need to do You're to get prepare.
2: hundreds of emails
1: now. I know. <laughs> well, if I give you a free copy, you have to tell somebody about it. That's all. There that's all go. I ask. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, and, and then also, like I've said, you know, read some books on actual writing. Um, I'm trying to think of a good, like, style, uh, 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 elements of style. Uh, sorry, I can't remember the elements of yeah, style and and yeah. white. Yeah, and um, just anything you can find in Barnes & Noble about writing.
2: Yeah. Great advice there. And I'll I'll just add, I think um, it's it's that what you said is get your own clients. I'm sure a lot of people's jaws just dropped. Like, how is that even possible? Right. So, but uh, building up a client base and start, you know, using the same skills you guys have learned, you know, in the association on networking, um, pitching yourself, like you can start using these skills now to get uh, clients for that you can write for. I mean there it's a it's a there's a massive exactly. need right now. It's it's a growing field. It's not shrinking at all. They need writers. Sure. Con- I mean content in general is so popular and being able to write at a high level on these topics there's very few people that can do that uh, consistently especially sure. and so and so I like that you're talking about a lot of the crossover stuff. So like some of these books, like it would be it doesn't matter if you have a you know a PhD in English or science, like you still need to be able to write well. So elements of style um, you know, there's a book called On Writing Well, all these different things, they, they do apply. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that's very, very solid advice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about actually applying for a job, so you, you call them staff positions versus freelance positions. I also want to talk about how you'd actually re- reach out for clients, but let's, let's go here first. So in terms of resumes, um, networking, what kind of strategy would you put in place if you wanted to get a, a, a staff writing job?
1: Okay, so staff writing job, I would make a um, a medical writer's resume, which will be about a page or two pages. So it's very different than an academic CV. Uh, and then you also want to pull out all the writing that you've ever done. I mean, whatever you can pull yeah. out, um, you know, make that highlight, make, make an effort at least to direct it towards medical writing. And if you've taken a course or whatever and highlight that, a course in writing. Um, you know make sure that stands Mm. out and then uh, like I said so reach out to recruiters and also um, not to be self promotional again but I have something called the hit list which is every every Tuesday it goes out and it has it's free it's totally free and you just sign up to it and um, type it into Google hit list and uh, it's medical writing jobs and many of those are staff jobs yes uh, and so that's a good way at least to see the recruiters there is a lot of applicants to each of those jobs i'm sure but the recruiters can be contacted so that's free
2: yes and just just to recap you guys i mean all you're hearing the same exact strategies you're learning for other positions right the two-page resume the more industry-style resume the networking the reach out to recruiters um great stuff so yes yeah. okay, let's, let's Flip it. So let's say you want to be a freelance writer. The number one thing you have to do is get you know your own client base. So what? How does that look? Any strategies that have worked for you over the years?
1: Yeah. So really, the only thing I've really done extensively is to send out emails. To um, so what I would do normally is I would join the Amway. American Medical Writers Association which is the main professional organization and there's other similar related um, associations so um, there's one called ASAP and I can't even remember what that stands for but that you know if you join those associations and you have access to their member directory and you don't want to spam people um, but it's you, you can certainly reach out with email and just introduce yourself with a brief email and I talk about how to do this in my book I give an example of the email that is good to send. And, you know, it's numbers game. So you'll end up sending about 100 emails. But after that 100 emails, you should have at least one new client. Um, Another thing to do is uh, join AMWA at the local level. Most big cities have an active chapter. And if you're not near that chapter, you can also uh, reach out to the People at National, you know, the National Head Office, they're always needing help with various initiatives they've got going on. Um, I actually have a podcast called Medical Writers Speak, and I just interviewed the presidents of AMWA, the president and president-elect of AMWA, and so that's pretty interesting to listen to if, you, if you're if you interested in joining AMWA and everything that they offer. Uh, let's see, what else? Yes. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> oh,
2: no, how to so it so get So for building client? up that client base. So, well, anything, yeah. I guess, have you ever had any aha moments in your career when you were searching, like let's say you started doing this when you first started building up a client base and then you switched to this and you got more clients? Like any kind of those insider tips?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, very good question. I would say the most, the hardest part is getting started. It's like pushing a hurdle uphill, you know, boulder mm-hmm. uphill. Uh, the After that, like if you're, good. And if you're responsive to your clients and you're friendly, easy to work with, that's all of those things. You do good work. You are going to be overloaded with work like pretty quickly, I would yeah. say. I mean, it, it's, I haven't had to market um, you know, as an individual writer, I haven't had to market my services for a, a long while, which is nice because it's kind of tedious to do it. Yes. But um, this industry, the medical writing industry, is pretty small. And so work gets around, and unfortunately, it probably gets around for the good and the bad, you know. But if you do good work, um, you're going to get referrals. And, um, you yeah. know, it just is a matter of just attending to people's emails and requests too when you, you know, be be responsive to emails
2: you know, Emma said that is that can be valuable. You know, joining the different associations, the American Medical Writers Association, whatever it might be. Um, but they're valuable for the network and the list of yes people involved in that. It's not valuable for the title, right? Or just to get in it. Like you have to get in there, and then you have to network afterwards. And networking is very similar to, like, just Emma said, it's very similar to marketing. And most of your efforts in the beginning are going to go towards networking, marketing, pitching yourself. But eventually, once you have your client base, uh, that'll tend kind to of take care of itself word-of-mouth and stuff doesn't matter what business it is you know this is certainly the case and especially if you're a freelancer
1: yeah and I would also add that um my policy or my approach has always been to I mean it sounds Pollyanna but I always feel that if you give enough or if you if you attract rather than attract people to you rather than promote yourself um then mm-hmm. it does, it's much better people think sales is being aggressive but really if you go to somebody and say look you know I want to help you out somehow then um that goes a much much further In getting a response. And one of the things I'm really glad I did in 2003, that's when I started the hit list, which now has like, it has thousands of subscribers to it now and it's all free and everything. But and that was free and it cost me money to send it out. But that's done more in terms of name recognition. So I would say that anybody that's starting out, think about how you can add value to your clients or on your website. I mean, can you provide an industry update? What is it that you can do that will attract people to your website rather than, you know, running after clients?
2: Yeah, no. <laughs> if that makes sense? It, it does, absolutely. And so it, it's, an, it's a very important point. And you, we've talked about this a lot, you guys. You know, we talk about adding value 1st ask what you can take. You know, ask what you can give first. And giving that value in terms of content whether you want to call it content marketing or, or, or whatever else it's important you know uh, Emma's talked about having a website talked about having a blog where you can write about certain topics that are relevant to the types of topics you want to write about for money um, there, there's a variety of ways to do this now uh, you know you can publish articles on LinkedIn internally on LinkedIn um, and these things they get read you know we've had people in the group who have and the association have started their own website and have started posting blog articles people who have started doing their own series on LinkedIn and have drastically increased their their network because of it and so I think that's really great advice you know give that value first you know in terms of great content add a ton of value and you'll build up that client base so great stuff and lots of, and also lots of resources too um, like Emma said you guys can see her book here and then there's a couple of links where you can get more information Okay, so I want to stay on that for a second. So obviously giving the value, the network, um, I know it's always hard to think back, you know, it's hard because things are different now, right? With The internet's changed so much, and I mean, what I are, if uh, if we had, had to talk about like the cutting edge, right? You're obviously, you know, at the top of your field. What kind of things are you seeing on the cutting edge, like a few takeaways you could give the audience right now that would, that would put them ahead of other people who haven't listened to this webinar? Oh my goodness. Oh, you know, you've stumped me. <laughs> um, well, what things do you see, see working see. for you in terms of, you know, when you talk to people or when you're onboarding a new client, like maybe more operationally? So we talk about getting new clients, but how do you manage all of this? How has that changed over the yeah. years? Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, well, you know, I guess, so I, I've got a lot more clients than I could handle individually. So I have a lot of writers that work with me. Yeah. And so that, you know, I, I, so I started out as a one person shop and it was really in 2011 when I brought on subcontractors mm. and um, it's, so it's changed the nature of my job and I'm more, I'm more managing people now than I am doing the actual writing myself, although I yes. do do some. So, um, but uh, I guess if you want to, uh, I don't know if I'm really answering the question that you no, asked. you are. This but, is great. Cause
2: I think people never see the operational stuff. Um, that yeah. With how you grow, yeah. right? So you start One off, with your the first couple of clients. Like, how do you scale?
1: Exactly, that's a very good question, and I did not think about it at, at all when I started. I had a, I had an Excel spreadsheet with you know columns and and rows for each of my clients and all the projects, and it quickly just became untenable. I mean, it was just because you you know you, you're always in a process of you know having to send out an invoice receiving an invoice or, or receiving yeah. a check and you have to keep really good track because you can't go to your client and act like they haven't paid you when you've received payment, that kind of thing. So you have to keep yeah. really good records and so I, I swear by QuickBooks Online um, that's really important and it will keep you, it'll keep track of all your you know, profit and loss. You need to have a separate business account for your business, whether or not you Form an LLC. You don't have to do that when you start, but you have to be separate everything out, business and personal. Yeah. And then, uh, so and QuickBooks Online is only about two fifty a year, something like that. And then I also use something that's a little more um, higher scale. That I, I had to use this when I took on subcontractors because it was way complex otherwise. And it's a it's a program called QuickBase, which is also made by the makers of QuickBooks. It's mm-hmm. it's like a CRM content. CRM whatever that stands for content resource management system yeah so it's like it helps you like right exactly so every record every new project I get in it gets a record associated with it and you know I I how much you know the client's paying who's the subcontractor this that and the other and that way it's really easy to sort it into reports you can see you know what percentage of sales you're doing on x y and z and so that's really important to scale up you have to have processes in place also when you bring on subcontractors that's like a whole nother level right so you you know you can guarantee your own work but when it comes to guaranteeing other people's work that's a little harder so you have to have a a method for bringing people on and hiring people and um, yep. you know, all, all kinds of things. So it's, it's complex.
0: Thank you for joining us for another industry careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, Go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Uh, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast, Uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, Until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.